Hello, everyone. I'm starting a midweek Bible study on the concept of grace in the book of Titus. It's really a letter. And there's so many wonderful things in this letter that deal with what grace is and the power of grace and the freedom of grace. And I just want to take a couple of weeks to look at this through the book of Titus. And today we're looking at Titus chapter 1, 1 through 4. So I encourage you to take your Bibles and turn there. Titus 1, 1 through 4 as we look at the liberty of grace, the freedom that you have in grace. It reads, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness in the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time and which now at his appointed season, he is brought to light through the preaching entrusted to me by the command of God our Savior. So Titus, my true son in our common faith, grace, there's that word, and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Now, four times in this letter, Paul talks of grace. First times here in verse 4, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Then go to chapter 2, verse 11. The grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. And then there's two recorded in chapter 3, chapter 3, verse 7. So that, having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. And then verse 15. Everyone with me sends you greetings. Greet those who love us in the faith. Grace be with you all. Now, it won't take you very long to read through this very short letter, but you will quickly find out that Paul is very grateful for Titus because Titus became a Christian by God's grace. You see, Paul brought Titus to Christ. Titus was a young Greek. He was not a Jew. He was a Greek. Paul, who was a Jew, had witnessed to him and had converted him to Christ and there, back in verse 4, has called him his own son in the faith. Now, in Jerusalem, there was a big debate as to whether the Gentiles could be saved without keeping the Jewish law. Paul took Titus and took him to Jerusalem and used him as proof that the Gentiles were saved, and they were saved by grace. And if you want to, you can read that story in Acts 15 and Galatians chapter 2. But it's more than proof, it's, it's a personal relationship. He calls Titus his son in the faith. When Paul wrote the Corinthians in chapter 4, verse 15 of 1 Corinthians, he said, If you had 10,000 guardians in Christ, you will not have many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I became your father through the gospel. And what he's telling the Corinthians is, is yes, you've had many guardians, you've had many different teachers, but it was through the efforts of my church planning where many of you became Christians, and because of that, I consider myself your father in the gospel. You are my children. John, in his first letter, identifies a three-stage growth process in our spiritual discipleship. He calls us little children or young persons or a father, and you find those categorizations in 1 John chapter 2. A little child's the new convert. 
the young person think of around middle school, teenager years, and the father, those like Paul who bring others to Christ. Now, oftentimes you hear the term that someone was won over to Jesus Christ. In other words, it's the understanding that we're in a battle, a spiritual battle against evil, and people are won over. They are brought out of the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God through evangelism. But there's a term that John and Paul use that's more relational. It's more like bringing us into God's family. Newborn babies need a father. And this is Paul's term regarding Titus and to the Corinthians, where he says, I'm your father in the gospel. And it's the term that John uses here. So uh, look in 1 John 2, 12 through 15, and notice the children, the young person, and fathers. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. And notice, I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. And then the third group, I'm writing to you, young men, because you've overcome the evil one. So in verse 12 and 13, the little child knows their sins have been forgiven by the name of Jesus Christ. The fathers are the ones who really know who Jesus is. They know him from the beginning. This is deep, intimate relationship with God and Jesus Christ. And the young men here in verse 13, the spiritual growth, have learned how through the power of God to overcome the evil one. And so in verse 14, he says, as they grow, I'm writing to you, dear children, because you know God, you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who's from the beginning. There's that development in who, who is God. I'm forgiven of my sins, and he gives me the power to overcome the evil one as I grow. But more importantly, I know who he is from the beginning as a father. And again, he writes, I write to you, young men, because you're strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you've overcome the evil one. Now, why is all that important? Because John continues in verse 15, I don't want you to fall in love with this world or anything in the world. In other words, I don't want the world system to trip you up. If anyone loves the world, then you're going to lose your love for the Father. It's not going to be in them. If you really want to get to know who God is, the one who gives you the power to overcome evil, the one who's forgiven you for sins, you can't fall in love with the world system. You have to stay in love with the Father. And John continues, for everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away. I love this, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Paul says to Titus, you are my son in the faith. So that happens by God's grace. Now, what is grace? Well, we're familiar with the term, aren't we? Grace is God's unmerited favor. It is the kindness of God shown to one who doesn't deserve it and one who can never earn it. There's an acrostic about grace, G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. What does that mean? There's a Sunday school teacher that, teach, that was teaching middle schoolers, and he's trying to teach them one Sunday morning on the concept of grace, and it just wasn't working. He could not get their attention. They had no interest at winter Sunday about what grace was. It was the middle of the winter, and a couple of days later, the teacher's walking home from the grocery stores. He picked up a few items, and he's walking home, and out of nowhere, a snowball comes and hits him in the face, knocking off his glasses, cutting his cheekbone, and he falls down, and the grocery bag 
with his groceries spilling to the ground, destroying some of the items. So as he's down on the ground and he's getting himself back up to get his glasses and to gather the groceries, he spots out of the corner of his eye one of the boys who threw the snowball. And it was Robert. Robert, who was in that Sunday school class of his. And at first, the teacher's angry. I'm going to march to his house and tell his parents what Robert had done. And he needs to be punished for this. And they need to pay for my groceries. And they need to pay for a new pair of glasses. But on the way to Robert's house, he came up with another idea. And he took a, a slight detour. And he made his way to the local general store. And there he purchased a fishing pole. And then he went to Robert's house, and on the side of the house next to the door, he put the fishing pole there, and then he knocked on the door. And Robert, the boy, answers. And the teacher says, hello, Robert. Robert's obviously scared and embarrassed, knowing he's probably been caught, and he can only muster a grunt. He can't even talk. And the teacher said, Robert, did you throw the snowball at me today? Robert continued to look down at his shuffling feet and quietly muttered, uh, yeah. Robert, are your parents home? Uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're in the back room. You know, Robert, I should tell your parents what you did, but I'm going to leave that up to you. You're in big trouble for breaking my glasses and cutting my face as well as the loss of some of my groceries. But Robert, I remember something you said one time in class, what you would really like to have is a fishing pole so that when spring comes around, you can fish. And you think it'd be fun to fish, but you could also help feed your family as well by bringing them fish for fish dinner. The teacher then reached over to the right side of the door where he placed the fishing pole out of the side of Robert and picked up the fishing pole and then proceeded to give it to Robert. Robert, here you go. Here is my gift to you, the fishing pole. And Robert stumbles, no, 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 stammers. I, I, can't I can't take that. That just wouldn't be right. The teacher said, you're right. You don't deserve it. But I know it's something that you like, and I think it's something that you need. Robert, let me ask you, do you remember us talking about grace in class this past Sunday? And Robert nodded his head in the affirmative. And the teacher said, Robert, what is grace? Grace, Robert thought about for a moment. Then Robert lifted his gaze from that fishing pole in his hands and with a big smile on his face, looked the Sunday school teacher straight in the eye and said, Grace is a fishing pole. Grace is a fishing pole. He's so right. G-R-A-C-E, God's riches at Christ's expense. God gives us something we don't deserve but absolutely need. Now, as we're looking in Titus chapter 1 through 4, we're looking at this concept of the liberty of grace, and there's just certain things about grace that's so amazing. And right off the bat, it gives us freedom. It gives us grace. Jesus said in Luke 4, I have come to set the captives free. And then John 8, 36, if the Son shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now, why is grace liberty? Well, notice here in verse 1 of Titus 1 that it's grace is the election of God. Grace is sovereign. 
It says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. That's called sovereign grace. Paul says, we've been elected by God. He's the sovereign God and God has chosen us. And if you are saved, it's because God has elected you. God loves you. He sought you. God brought you. It's his sovereign grace. And I know what some people say. Well, if it's sovereign grace, then maybe I can't get in on it. And some people teach that, that some people are excluded by God. But I don't believe the Bible teaches that at all. Well, you can get on this sovereign grace. You don't have to worry about it. If you want to be saved, you can. I love what John chapter 6 says. It's a wonderful chapter. Listen to this verse in verse 37. And this is Jesus talking. All those the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. I will never drive away. Now that's sovereign grace. The Father gives me... They come to me, and Jesus says, and if you come to me, if you're seeking me, if you want to be saved, I will never drive you away. You want to know whether you're one of the elect or not? Here's what it is. If you come to Jesus, and you seek him as your Savior, then the bottom line is, Jesus says, I will save you from your sins. And I am glad that I can preach it and you can teach that whoever so ever, I mean, whosoever will may come, anybody can come to Jesus Christ. No one is excluded. And I think that just deserves a hallelujah. It's a sovereign grace. And yet it's free to all who receive and all who will say yes to the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not only grace is the election of God, it's the saving grace of God. In chapter 2, verse 11, it says, for the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. That's amazing grace. It's a saving grace. That's why the gospel is what? The good news of salvation. It's a saving grace. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. I love that, don't you? God's grace, saving grace. And of course, in Romans 11, verse 6, and if by grace we are saved by grace, it cannot be by works. If it were, grace would no longer be grace. If by grace, if it's by grace though, then it means that we are saved to work for the Lord. If it's grace is what God gives us to be saved. And here's what it says. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Ephesians 2 verse 8. It's a sovereign grace and it's a saving grace. It also means we are secured by our grace. Look in verse 2 of Titus chapter 1. In the hope of eternal life, which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time. Now see that word hope? That word hope in the Bible does not mean, well, I hope it does, I hope so, or maybe it will happen. Hope in the Bible is a solid assurance based on the Word of God. And the second coming of Jesus is called the blessed hope, and your eternal life is a blessed hope. In the hope of eternal life, which God who does not lie promised before the beginning of time. Listen, God through Jesus Christ has chosen you. He's elected you. God has planned your salvation 
before this planet was ever put into existence. You know, you hear that phrase, old-time religion. I mean, this is the old-time good news. This is a great news, isn't it? Before the world began, God chose us through his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. It's a securing grace. And finally, it's a grace that has a trinity to it. It's always linked to mercy and peace. It's so beautiful. It's so satisfying. Look in verse 4. To Titus, my true son, in our common faith, grace and peace from God, the Father, and Christ Jesus, our Lord and Savior. See that? He links grace with mercy and peace. Grace, mercy, and peace. Well, we've already looked at grace. Grace is something that God has given us that we don't deserve. And we don't. We don't deserve his goodness. We don't deserve his salvation. But Romans 5 verse 8 says, God demonstrated his own love for us that we were still that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, no good, sinners, away from God, alienated from God, separated from God, not even fearing God, in the midst of that, God sent his grace to us. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And mercy is God not giving us what we do deserve. You see, what do we deserve? We deserve judgment. We deserve hell. God's mercy says, no, I'm not going to give you what you do deserve. So grace and mercy are linked together, and they're followed by peace. Mercy, grace, and peace. That's God's order. The Bible always says grace and peace, and grace always precedes peace, because you can't find peace until you know grace. You have the peace of God and peace with God because of the grace and mercy of God. What is peace? Peace is that result of grace and mercy. When you know grace, when you receive mercy, then you'll experience peace. And you know, there are people in our world, and we're seeing it right now through this COVID, that are absolutely destroying their lives in the attempts of trying to find peace. Some are trying to find peace in pills. Some are trying to find it in a bottle. Some are trying to find it in so many different ways, but their troubles keep on piling up, and they cannot find the peace they want. Because the reason is peace is found only in the grace and the mercy of God. What I'm trying to tell you is this. This grace that God has given us brings us liberty. And here's a verse from Galatians chapter 5, verse 1. I love this. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Grace is liberty. Grace is freedom, and this weekend we're celebrating our freedom as a nation, but we celebrate our freedom because of what grace has offered to us. It's a wonderful thing. It's seeking grace. God is seeking you, and today God wants you to be saved through Jesus Christ, and he invites you to put your faith in Christ, repent of your sins, confess his name, and be baptized, and we'd love to help you with that. Just call the church office and we'll be glad to help you arrange to be baptized if you need to do so today. Well, next week in our midweek Bible study, we're going to look again, and this time look at Titus chapter 2, verse 11, at God's amazing grace.